Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now It's April, and about now, all of the homebrew shops around you, if they're still open and selling things because of the COVID-19, are probably starting to sell hop rhizomes. So today, I'm talking to Andrew Voss of Voss Farms here in Arvada, Colorado, about how to grow hops in your backyard on homebrewing DIY. Building recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on this show, like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the cruisin ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruisin. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com.
and welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're talking to Andrew Voss of Voss Farms in Arvada, Colorado, about his tips and tricks for growing hops at your house using rhizomes that are available right now from your local homebrew store. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you for free week after week. Why don't you head over to Homebrewing DIY's Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Still have a couple of great specials going on. If you give it the $1 level for the first 20 patrons at $1, you're going to get access to our RSS feed and a homebrewing DIY sticker. That's a $5 value. And if you give it the $5 level, we're going to send you a nice thank you gift from Scrubber Duckies. I have one of those left, so uh, the next patron at $5 is going to get that. Another way that you can support the show is by heading over to podchaser.com or to Apple Podcasts and writing us a review. Your feedback A, helps us improve the show and also helps others find the show. So once again, that's podchaser.com or Apple Podcasts. And the last way you can support the show is by heading over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer and using our sponsor links. Sign up for Brewfather or do your homebrew shopping at Adventures in Homebrewing. Use those sponsor banners and it lets them know that we sent you. Your feedback is always appreciated. You can always send us feedback to podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer and send us an email, a note, feedback on the show, a question, anything. We'd love to read it on the air. So once again, that's podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just look for the handle at homebrewingdiy, all one word. Also, if you listened to last week's show, I talked a bit about the SIP or the Shelter in Place Beer Festival that's happening on the 11th of April from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. Just one more announcement that that is happening. It's the Shelter in Place Beer Festival. All of the proceeds from the ticket sales and t-shirt sales are going to go to help the employees of the craft beer industry here local in Colorado. And it's a pretty simple to participate. Buy a ticket, Hop on Twitter, Facebook, throw out the hashtag, and enjoy a Colorado beer from 12 to 6 on this Saturday. So go over to SIPBeerFest.com for more information and get your ticket today. All right, so now let's jump into this week's interview. We're going to be talking to Andrew Voss of Voss Farms here in Arvada, Colorado, about how you take your rhizomes and turn them into beautiful, succulent, tasty hops. I'm sitting here with Andrew Voss of Voss Farms, a local hop farm here in Arvada, Colorado, and we're going to talk about all things hops today. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, Thanks for being on the show. I think the best place for us to start right now would be, let's get a bit into your homebrewing history and how you started a hop farm. Yeah, homebrewing history started well after uh, the hop farm, actually. I've uh, always been a beer drinker, uh, but uh, I've always been more of a grower and a gardener. And I uh, was living in downtown Denver for years, 
trying to do as big a garden as I could. Uh, so when I finally had a chance to upgrade my home in uh, 2008 during the recession, prices were pretty good. So I found two acres in Arvada and uh, wanted to do an apple orchard, but after a big hailstorm, those apple tree starts got all killed. So I planted hops. Uh, had, I had planted them at the same time as the apple trees, and after the hailstorm, they came back so much more vigorous than the apple trees that I said, hey, hop farm makes a lot of sense. Craft breweries were burgeoning. Yeah, that's a, kind of a key time in the craft brewery time for Colorado as well in the mid-2000s, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it just made sense to, to grow the hops. I thought probably like a lot of people that consider having a hop farm that I would uh, make money hand over fist, be able to quit my day job with IT. But that wasn't the case, and we can talk about that a little bit later. But let's just say uh, the home brewing started after the hop farm because so many uh, brewers would come and help me with the hops in harvest time or they'd get rhizomes from me. I'd just come check it out, and they'd ask, so what do you like to brew? And I says, no, here's the deal. I grow hops. I give them to you. You come back later with a tasty six-pack, and, and it's all good. But eventually I, I uh, snuck into home brewing maybe six years ago. And how how often are you brewing? Like, is it something that's, like, periodic, or are you brewing throughout the year? You know, it goes in, in spurts. Um, I've had a lot of barrel projects that, you know, take 40 gallons on my part to make. And so it usually goes in spurts. Uh, I'm due to brew my summer stuff now. I usually have a big brew day on the Kentucky Derby Day. I'll still do it the first weekend and Saturday, but uh, usually in the fall, try to make a bunch, get them indoors in the, the crawl space the basement to ferment and um, I don't know, probably brew every other month, but 10, 15 gallons at a time. Uh, that's, a, that's a good amount of beer. I mean, to be honest, that's about how often I brew and about how fast it takes, how long it takes me to get through about 15 gallons of beer, right? <laughs> right. If you have friends, right. It helps. It does help. So let, the reason I asked you to be on the show today is I really wanted to talk about it. It is rhizome season right now. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of home brewers out there are probably growing hops for their first time. Well, I, I wanted to have you talk maybe a bit about if I were a home brewer, I just got some rhizomes for the first time. It's April. It's time okay. to get them planted. What, yeah. what, what would be some good tips and tricks that you could give me as a home brewer to grow hops. Okay, I'll go through the basics and pause and make you can make sure I'm still on the right track. Uh, but hops, they're a very, very cool plant. I mean, they're, uh, I mean, they're like kudzu, but you can use them for something. They're very vigorous. Think of them as corn. Every year corn grows, it grows very rapidly. It needs lots of water to carry those nutrients to build the plant. Hops are the same way. You gotta give them lots of sunshine, which pulls the nutrients up in the plant. You gotta give them lots of water to carry those nutrients and you gotta give them fertilizer, mainly nitrogen, like you would corn. So if you're gonna site your hop plant at your house, a really good place is if you got a, a two-story house is uh, along the chimney or a, a south, uh, south facing, east or west, definitely not north facing, uh, but plant them where they're gonna get lots of sun and you can string them up 15 to 20 feet. They want to grow vertical. A lot of people try to put them horizontal on a fence, and they'll do that. They get bushy. The The taller you can get them, the better the hop cones form at the very top of that plant. Okay. And w when you're 
let, let's maybe start with what is a rhizome and okay. how does it, <laughs> yeah, let, let's right, start yeah. there. So a hot plant is a perennial plant. It comes back every year as long as you treat it right for 15 to 20 or who knows what. It kind of reproduces itself. Even if it gets old, you can get a part of it on one side that's younger. And it forms a crown. Probably the size of a dinner plate is what you want your crown to be. Roots go off of that and also things like that are called rhizomes. They're, if you've ever seen a strawberry plant, they have runners that, that leap out and, and set new roots. The rhizomes of a hot plant are just subsoil, a little bit under the soil. They're roots that kind of turn into sprouts, and they have some root hairs on them. They have some sprouts coming up. Every year on a mature hop crown, you want to cut those off so that you don't waste energy on those that the plant could be putting vertical into making the hop cones for you. And by the way, all hop plants that we use to get uh, hop cones are female, so be nice to them. Um, no males. If the males were there, it's fine. If they pollinate, not a big deal. You just have seeds in the cones. You can still brew with them. Not a big deal. But you will never get cones that you can use off of a male plant. Okay. So you'll have, it would be a, essentially a waste because if you have, if you're adding water to a male plant, what's the point, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. You do, if you got one in, you'll know it. It makes little powdery sacks of pollen that bust open in, in June or July and the, the female hop plant is what you should be taking your cutting off of. I only have female hop plants in my garden, except for a few times where I've gone and got wild hops that looked pretty vigorous. I planted them, and then later that year I realized that they were forming pollen sacs, so I just cut them down. Okay. And, and that, that, that's a good place to start, because rhizomes, when you go and buy hops as, mm-hmm. uh, as a grower, you, you never find seeds, right? No. No, you won't find seeds. I mean, it's yeah, because if you plant a seed, which I've done because, you know, some wild ones uh, created it, you know, it's like getting a straight run of chickens. You're going to get eight roosters and two hens. It's not worth going by seed. Plus, you don't know what it is because it's not a clone. Essentially, exactly. a, a rhizome is a clone of the hop plant. And if someone you know has, you know, you know it's a hollertaw or you know it's a cascade, go over and cut some rhizomes off. Save yourself five bucks and, and just plant those. They're very vigorous now. Mine are starting to sprout. Um, here it is in early April. It's been nice. I've got a few inches of growth off my hop crowns. It's not to say they're not going to get frozen back, but if you, you have a friend that's got them, you can still, at this time of the year, you can still go cut off some rhizomes, put them in the ground, water them, let their roots set. If we do get a hard freeze or even a moderate freeze, just cover it up. But I'd say now is the time to start planting those rhizomes. And then how, how much water does a normal hot plant take, let's say, weekly? Gallons. They, uh, I, I almost leave my drip emitters, well, they don't leave them on all the time, but they do a gallon a minute drip right over the plant. And I have them run for two hours a day probably, so a couple gallons a day. Um, you just kind of play it by ear. The hop plant doesn't like soggy feet. It will rot. The, the crown will rot if it's always soggy. So if you're in a lot of clay build a mound, put that hop crown in that mound so that the water will drain away from the roots, but they don't like to dry out either, especially the first year. But the only way you kill them in the first year is is let them dry out or snap off all of the growth that they've they, that they've started, and then the rhizome doesn't have enough energy to, to create it again. Other okay. than that, they're really hard to kill after the first year. Okay, and then after the crown and it starts to actually start let's say 
climbing or Climb. go, going that vertical. Mm-hmm. What what are a couple of ways? Let, let's say I don't have a two story house. What are some sure. some ideas of how I can get my hops to go vertical? A utility pole. Uh, go get the tallest. Even if you get a twelve foot two by six um, or four by six. Sorry, four by six for Home Depot or something. Put it the tallest pole you can. Rig a pulley at the top. Um, unless you got it, it's really sturdy. Bury it two or three feet in the ground next to the plant. But you want a string that will come down from that the top of the pole, the highest you can get. Um, and then when the plant starts making the uh, the binds, they're not vines. A vine would use a tendril to wrap itself onto something, whereas a bind with a bee wraps the entire body of the plant around an object or a string in order to go up. So when these binds come out of the crown or the new rhizome you've got, in the new rhizome you're only going to get two or three of these sprouts coming up. So be careful with them. If you snap the tip off, they will want to die and they, or they'll go crazy. So you got to maintain the integrity of that tip and they're a little more fragile than you think. But uh, take two or three off of a mature crown or every single one you have on a first year plant and put it against a string that's like a cotton clothesline that has the ability for that hop bind that has little hairs on the on the bind called trichomes that will grip into the string and it'll wrap itself. You can help it, but it wants to go clockwise around that string and go up. And then once it kind of goes up that string, it's just mm-hmm. going to climb itself all the way up over the summer. Is there any kind of maintenance that you need to do throughout the year other than water? Um, yeah, as it climbs, you may have to help keep that growing tip on the string. Sometimes a wind will blow it off or it'll get so vigorous one day that it won't find the string. What that that uh, that bind is, it's growing up. In the morning, it wakes up looking east and then it'll, here in the northern hemisphere, it'll follow the sun as the sun tracks east to west. And that tip will grow anywhere from an inch to eight or ten inches a day. And it'll follow the sun to the south and to the west. And at night, it will clench and tighten up. When there's no sun, it will clench on that string. So sometimes it, it won't find that string at night to clench on. You wake up in the morning, just, just carefully wrap that string around, or that bind around the string. And while you're doing all this, make sure it stays moist, but not soggy. Make sure it doesn't dry out. And add, I like liquid fish fertilizer. It's seaweed and fish parts and whatever. You dilute it and you throw it on the plant. That or cow poop. Either way, it wants nitrogen, so you're adding these nutrients very early in the spring, and then you're doing a little bit different kind of stuff in June when you want that plant to bloom or start forming the the, the cones. Okay. And so, yeah, let's talk a bit about the life cycle throughout Mm -hmm. the year. So you start to get sprouts in April uh, here, at least, yeah, March and April, at least here in Colorado. And then throughout the spring, I guess your next step is June Mm -hmm. where it starts to bloom what's kind of the next step after that okay so yeah sprouts in april in may you second year plants and later you trim everything down you have like a medusa's head of sprouts you want to trim down all of those sprouts except for two or three that you're going to train up the string and then you water them you fertilize them and in june around june 21st the solstice that plant realizes that the the day's have gotten started getting shorter and that will trigger that plant to put out little flowers. It'll put out lateral arms in June 
and then on those lateral arms as those keep growing they'll start putting out these little flowers which will turn into the cones uh, so that's June so in July June July you you add if you do any kind of fertilizer you do something that's supportive of flowering in July they're gonna start you're gonna start seeing these beautiful cones and clusters and you're gonna squeeze them and they're really green and they don't quite smell like hops yet but they're on their way so when you when these cones get really mature which will be the end of July the first of August some varieties the middle or end of August kind of depends on when you had your last frost if the plant started real early you'll be harvesting at the end of July if they started late May 15 like maybe you had to cut them down because there was a hard frost you'll uh, harvest in August most of my Chinooks middle of August every year but the Hollertaw end of July so when you start seeing these hop cones on the uh, the plant and clusters squeeze them with your hand when they start feeling like parchment paper they're about ready you might see them lighten up a little bit you might see a little light brown spots form on the outside which is totally good uh, you're and you're you're picking these early and often and you're you're picking off a hop cone you're seeing how it compresses if it, if it stays compressed it's too green if it starts to spring back and to its form after you squeeze it with your fingers and it feels like parchment paper you're getting real close rip it down the middle and look and there's little yellow dust in the middle right in the core of that what looks like a miniature pine cone you'll see little yellow dust that's the lupulin and if that has started to form balls down at the base of those little hop cone leaves bingo and it smells good it's oily you rub it on your wrist like a little perfume and, uh, and it kind of leaves a greasy uh, oil to it and it smells strong and it's parchment paper pick it Great. And then when you are doing a harvest, do you harvest just the cones as they come? When, when do you actually like rip down the plant and take them all? Uh, for me, I try to get all my hop plants to, of the variety to mature at the same time, which makes it really, you know, a, a busy six to seven days where I try to get them. Some I pick a little early, some at peak and, and some towards the end. And as they get towards the end, they might lose a little alpha acid but they gain more in oil, so there's it's a trade-off. Um, picking them, I cut the whole plant down. Uh, a lot of people like to leave them up. You'd have to use a ladder to go up there and pick them. It's quite dangerous. <laughs> and I cut the whole plant down, pull the string down, take them in the shade, drink some beer, listen to the radio, and uh, pick all the hops by hand. You want to get behind the cone with your fingers. Don't grab the cone and pull from the cone. You pull behind it like at the stem. Uh, and then throw them in a bin. But I try to pick the whole plant at one time. I don't pick the ones over here and wait for those to get better. I may isolate one plant that's a little early or a little later than the other ones and pick that before I pick the ones around it. But uh, when I start picking a plant, I pick the whole thing. And then, and then what is the process for getting, let's say, hops ready to brew after you've picked them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can get them tested if you want. The uh, Yakima Chief hops in uh pacific northwest used to have a place where you could send them into their lab for 30 bucks which kind of blows your your uh your price point if you're a home brewer and you just got a few so usually what i do is look at the average uh, alpha acids on a certain hop variety that you have make sure you pick them at peak harvest call that the alpha acid and the beta acid uh, unless you want to send them into the lab which i do um i don't do it for my fresh hops because i can't get the alphas back fast enough anyway but I digress. You keep me on point here, man. <laughs> um, so what do you do when you, when you pick the hops? Uh, you can use them in a fresh hop, use them that day, refrigerate them overnight, use them the next day. That's a fresh or a wet hop 
as fast as you can pick them, you throw them into your brew. And you're going to have to compensate. Certain brews are better for fresh hops. I get a good proven fresh hop or a wet hop. They're kind of the same. Fresh would be within a certain amount of days, never dried. Wet hop would be one that's probably 24 hours or less from the time you picked it. It goes into the kettle. Um, so find a fresh hop. If you're going to do fresh hops, you don't have to dry them. Put them into the brew. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's cautions for fresh hop brews. Don't you know you don't want to put them in too early and let them just saturate the the brew with a scent of fresh cut grass. Uh, so I'm not a fresh hop brewing expert, but I do like the fresh hops, and that's a very unique thing uh, you get once a year when they're fresh. So if you're gonna if you're gonna just brew right away with a fresh hop recipe, pick them, use them in 24 hours, or use them in a day or two. If you're not, you've got to take those hop cones and you've got to start drying them pretty quickly. And what are some of the methods you would use to dry them? Um, in a, you don't want to dry them out in the sunshine. Uh, that will oxidize a lot of the oils and things that are in it. You want to get it into a, a room that doesn't have a lot of wind. You don't want to, as the hop cones dry out, they will blow away. So if you just, you put them in your driveway in the shade uh, and you put a fan on it to drive moisture off as they lighten up that fan that you have on them will blow them away so i'd suggest um, in a hot room uh, you know close your close your um your garage if it gets really hot in there and put a, a box fan underneath some sawhorses put a screen or a box you make out of screen maybe six inches deep put that on the in between the sawhorses fill it with hops and blow that box fan up underneath it or alternatively from the top down into that uh, having another flat screen on top so the whole put all the hops into a screened environment a quarter inch wire works fine also but you want the air here in Colorado it's it's I mean people in Wisconsin laughed at me when I was in, went to hop growing class up at a place called Gorse Valley Hops they said you're from Colorado it's so dry you can go take a half an hour break but we tell all these people in the Midwest how to drive moisture off of the hops during the drying process using added heat. Uh, but if you're picking in August, it's hot. Find a, a hot, dry wooden barn or a, your garage and just put them on a screen, so, but make it so they don't blow away. Drive, uh, drive air through those hops. And in a couple days, those hops will be dry. You'll notice they become incredibly light. 90% uh, of the weight of the hop Will be driven off as moisture and you'll have about 10 percent of that left you can measure it um, there are calculations for uh, measuring the the amount of moisture you're driving off it involves weighing it you know to a gram cooking the hops in the oven then weighing it again and see how much moisture was driven off as you cooked it in the oven that's kind of a test or the quick and easy is wait until you pull that hop put it between your two hands, your fingers or two hands, and, and try to snap it like a, um, geez, I'm thinking what's the, like a carrot or something. You try to try to snap that little uh, hop cone like a carrot. If it snaps and you can feel that uh, center strig of the hop cone is, is totally dry, I like to put it up to my lip. Uh, I don't put it back in the, in the cell. I throw them away after I do that, but put it up to the lip because your lips are very moisture sensitive. And if there's any moisture in the center strig of that hop cone, the center line of it you'll feel it on your lip and if you feel any moisture on it they're not ready if you have to twist it and it doesn't just pop and crack as you uh, break it 
it's not dry enough. You have to get it down to 9% moisture, and it starts out at 85% moisture. Yeah, and then once they're dried, you can pretty much store them as you would any kind of whole cone hop at that point, right? Yeah, a vacuum sealer works great. Vacuum seal it, um, label it so you know where the heck it is when you picked it, and then uh, put it in the freezer. You can put it in a bag in a freezer, but with the darkness and the cold of the freezer, it's fine. What you don't want to do is package them before they're totally dry, because if you do that, and you, you, you could freeze it, but as soon as you pull it out to thaw, it's going to start getting all funky in there because it has moisture in it. And, and hops, when, it, when you talk about moisture and hops, they, they go bad pretty quickly, right? Um, they have, a, they have a, a factor, a measurement that they call the hop storage index. It can be 0.1 or 0.22 or 0.34. And that is a, when it, when it gets officially tested, it tells you, okay, this is how much oxygen, how much, how perfect the hops were and how well they'll store. And I don't do it, but I just put a little extra in. If they're old hops, I put a little extra in. I've had hops that have been a year, two years old, and I've used, and they've been just fine. You open the package, and it's like, wow, I just packaged that yesterday. It's kept in a dark, cool environment. You just put a little extra as they are older. Once you open that package and oxygen is getting in there, yeah, they're going to go bad uh, very quickly. You wouldn't want to leave them unsealed and removed of all oxygen for very long, maybe you know, a couple weeks three weeks, I think they'd be seriously affected at that point if you just left them in a paper bag. Yeah, which is the way that homebrew shops sold them in like the 1980s, right? Yeah, right. It was like, here's a paper bag of hops. No wonder. They've been right. sitting out on my shelf for six months. Yeah, that's no bueno. I've, I've, got a, I've got a vacuum sealer, a hop press, and I put them in Mylar bags. There's no, You don't want sunlight getting into them. You don't want oxygen getting into them. If you want to buy those little uh, oxygen absorbers and and put it into your bag when you do it, that's cool too. Uh, but if you dry them within a few days, and you know, if they're, if they're from the time you start drying them to the end of their dried, and you package them, vacuum seal them, you can keep them in the freezer and use them for a year, two years. I've, I've been pretty happy with my homebrews that way. You, you lose a little bit of the potency, but not that much. Yeah. And then do you, like, for example, I know that most hops that if you're a home brewer and you go down to your homebrew shop or you order them online, you're getting them mm -hmm. in pellets, right? Right. Uh, what, what kind of different factors do you need to think of when you're doing cones versus pellets? Because I know pellets tend to be yeah. stronger and you need to yep. adjust for that, right? Yeah, they powder out. Uh, I mean, I, I don't pelletize. It's, I could do an extra dollar a pound. I could go get them pelletized. But I sell a lot of my hops as fresh hops. And those that I don't have already got a setup to package them as whole hops. But I think the reasons why they went to pellets are, are consistency. And, and to no small factor, the ability to ship a lot more hops in less space, to store them in less space. There's less surface area to be oxidized. But then again, you have to beat up these beautiful little flowers in a hammer mill and, and, and squeeze them through a pelletizer extruder, which could be at such a hot temperature that it drives off some of the essential oils that are in the hops. So there's there's pros and cons for hops that are pelletized versus whole cone. And when you pelletize them, they do you can pump them out. They're sludge. Whereas the cones, you're using a whole cone that's dried. It will absorb quite a bit of your water in your brew, and you, you really don't want to squeeze out the bag of hops that you threw into your kettle because uh, you could be squeezing out tannins or some other unwanted stuff. You you want to let it drain a light little squeeze to get some of that that yummy hop juice out of it and into your boil, but 
you don't want to wring it out and get all that water out. You just got to waste some water and, and pull the hops out. Yeah. Sorry, I, is that a long-winded, no, long-winded answer for no, hops, uh, pellets, or whole? But No, that's a, that's a good answer, actually. Uh, like me, personally, I just throw my hops straight in my beer. So I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hop bag okay. kind of guy. Yeah, you could keep me. You do that whole French press thing. I was at Hound and Fox and Hound, or somebody did it for a while. In some other places, you do the French press. You put your hops down in. You pour some beer on top, and then you then you lower the plunger so it has like a fresh uh, hop back, like a Randall or something, on your table. Oh, yeah, that, that never thought of it that way. If you just if you're that desperate for hop flavor, just chew on one. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, what, what kind of clients do you have here in Colorado that you sell hops to? Uh, right now, my main client is Black Project. They um, they love the funky Neo-Mexicanus hops that I have, and they put them in their barrel projects. Uh, every year they come out with one that uses fresh hops. And it's, oh gosh, what's the name of it? Oh, I'll think of it in a second. Darn. <laughs> they gave me some bottles, and they're tasty. They're sours. They're naturally fermented on the roof of the uh, shop there in South Broadway in Denver. But Black Project has been buying all of my hops that I've really sold for the last few years. Fourteeners bought some in the past to do some special batches. I used to sell to Wincoop and and uh, Barrels and Bottles in Golden. There's been a variety that have kind of come and go. Like breweries start up, they're very passionate for local ingredients. But as they get to the, the economies of scale and the, the fact that their beer is popular and they got to make so much more and pellets are easier and, and having a consistent supply, it's more difficult for someone like me who's on two acres and now I've only got like half an acre or a quarter an acre in hops uh, have been downsizing a little bit it's hard for a, a big run brewery to use somebody like me so they'll get the western slope and they'll get a high volume of hops that are consistent they can use maybe in uh, a beer you see on the shelf more often yeah when you I, I remember we were having a conversation and you were telling me that you had some coffee houses buying hops from you what was kind of the use case there yeah, um, you know, I tried. I didn't get to it. Uh, Red Silo here, they, they do teas, and they, they wanted to uh, get some hops in. I just never followed up with them. It's part of the problem is having three jobs is uh, <laughs> I don't always follow up with people that show interest in the hops to sell. And then uh, was it Corvus? I was going to sell to them uh, back in the day, but I had a hop, uh, had a, a hailstorm that, that blew me out that year, and I had nothing. I think it was 2014, maybe something like that. And then they got another supplier in there they're out but yeah coffee shops can use them uh with their tea or their coffee cold brew stuff yeah I'd... anybody who's not from colorado uh, hail is a big deal here yeah. it, it 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 is the one thing that if there's something in colorado that is going to destroy your garden or whatever crops you have going on it's hail yeah and it, it's hit or miss i've been lucky last night knock on wood no, i've been lucky not to get hailed out but i've gotten hailed out three times and I've always said the next time it happens, I'm, I'm done growing hops because it's so, so depressing. The western slope of Colorado, they don't have the hail. Uh, and, that's, and they're better out there for orchards and, and uh, hops uh, for, for growing a lot of them. But, I mean, I, I put up with it. You can't really put screens over it. They're 20 foot tall. You break your neck trying to put, like a, a vineyard would have hail guards over the top of it. But you just take your lumps here. Exactly. And... Uh... What, what what kind of uh, you said you're scaling back a bit. What, what are you mm -hmm. uh, gonna grow instead? Um, I finally put some more uh, apple trees in, and uh, for cider mostly, got a dozen of those. I've got lots of hops, uh, still 250 plants, 
150 foot long rows, 20 foot tall. Rows are about 12 feet apart. So I've still got a lot. I've got Hollertaw, Chinook, Neo Mexicanus. Uh, the variety of that is Neo 1. It's kind of a lemon drop. And then I've got, uh, so I said Hollertaw. And I've got Mystery X, which is an Amarillo type, Cascade type. Don't know what it is, but it's neither one of those. It came as a as a rogue rhizome in a batch of uh, a batch of bad rhizomes I got many years ago, and I, I when it started growing, I realized how unique it was. I set it aside, and I've cloned it to about 150 plants now. It's a really good aroma hop, uh, about seven, eight uh, beta and eight, five to nine alpha, but a real nice nose to it, uh, a little tropical. And uh, I put it with my Chinook as a as a bittering, and I put that on top. Anyways, what was the question? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh, you're good. About, uh, about my mystery yeah. X-Ops. Um, oh, what, yeah. am I, what am I growing on the property? Okay. Um, I've got big vegetable gardens because that, I mean, that was always been a passion. Uh, grew up in a, in a vegetable garden. Um, I've got a, a hydroponic aquaponic system now called FarmPod, www.farmandapod. These guys created a shipping container with a greenhouse on top fish in the bottom, using the fish waste as nutrients for the vertical towers that grow vegetables in the uh, greenhouse on top. And I got the, the, um, the original model that they built in Santa Fe. It had been sitting at Santa Fe Community College. And uh, I met the guys when I went down to St. Croix and the Virgin Islands, where I used to live. They went down there to manufacture them because they're shipping containers. All you need to be is near a shipping container port. And they said, well, I could live in Houston or the Virgin Islands, or Miami, or L.A., or the Virgin Islands. So they're down in the Virgin Islands. They, they wanted to get their uh, original one out of Santa Fe Community College. We hauled it up last September, so I'll be... I got perch in the tanks now. Just got them a few days ago, and I'm sprouting the um, the uh, vegetable, a lot of leafy greens and basil and stuff like that to put into the greenhouse up top. So I'll have that very soon. i got about 30 chickens, too. Wow, that's... Uh quite the project on top of uh, all your jobs and with <laughs> with the uh, stay-at-home orders a lot of people I've, i'm kind of in a fishbowl i probably got a dozen houses that back up to me and uh, i'm their entertainment a lot of the time <laughs> yeah uh, and i've actually been to your farm and it's 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 kind of cool because uh and, and for those that don't know we're here in arvada colorado we're 15 minutes from downtown denver we're very very close to a, a very bustling metropolitan area and uh your your like little farm is like you said it, it's like total suburbia and then back in a little alley down a dirt road is boom yeah. there's Voss farm it's just kind of in the middle of the city uh kind of a unique place but uh, uh kind of an amazing cool little farm right it it's hard to find i mean i knew what i was looking for i grew up in the sticks i know i didn't want to live in the sticks i mean so no no offense to Lyman, but that's not where I want to live. I'd, I'd rather be near, nearer in the city. Uh, but I look for agricultural property. It's ag-zoned. It's got its own well water. It, it was formerly uh, a larger farm that they sold off, and they developed the houses, built the houses around the farm. But it's ag-zoning. It's a pocket of Jefferson County surrounded by the city of Arvada that is kind of standalone. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. And then uh, I guess the last question I have are, you know, what kind of brewing projects you have going on? You said you do a lot of barrel projects. I know you and Ryan, who's been on the yeah, show before, do a lot team, of barrels yeah. together. So what kind Ryan, of things are you going to do? Ryan's good. He has all the passion. He shows up and he sees uh, that I've got an excellent place to put the uh, barrel into my 
my catacombs and the crawl space and the space and usually the time to also brew. So we, he and I have brewed four or five barrel projects, strong ales and rum barrels and Belgian quad Chimay Blue clones and in rum barrels and uh, Baltic porters and rye wine and rye bourbon barrels. Um, I like having those on hand. Those are like, you know, an investment in my future, the old 10% ABVs. Um, I bottle those, but I like drinking pale ales, uh, IPAs, ESBs, an English ESB that I've Americanized with uh, American hops has a more flowery nose. That's, that's usually my summer drink. That's awesome. Uh, one last question, just to go back to hops a bit is, you know, we, we talked about your first year. Mm -hmm. What would you expect from your second year of hops? Second year of hops. Um, that's a good question. Thank you. Uh, first year, you may want to plant this little bitty rhizome. You may want to plant it two feet away from the other one. Don't. Plant them five feet apart from another hop. Four feet minimum if you've got to make, you know, five fit into the space instead of four. But uh, your hop plants, when you plant them four to five feet apart, first year they're going to seem real scrawny. You might, you, you might get some cones. I've had Chinooks give me cones as big as my thumb the first year. Because they, they get up there and they and they, they want to do all that. The second year, that hop plant is going to be three to four times as wide. It could have four-foot lateral arms on each side of it that, that, that go out and then they droop down. It's going to be a really bigger than your, you can put your arms around this hop plant the second and third year. If it's got the right sun, the right water, and the right nutrients, it will be a real horse the second year. And the first year, it's, it's like a billy goat. Okay. And what kind of... Like, for example, year one, you said you're lucky if okay. you get some cones, right? Get so it. maybe yep. you, if you're going to get a few ounces of hops, right? What would you expect yeah. per plant on a year two? Let's say you're under the right growing conditions. Yep. Year two, and, and, and I've really gotten kind of a full hop plant worth of hop cones on year two. Year three, it, it, you know, no later than that, you'll get the, the maximum. A pound dried, uh, four or five pounds wet. Uh, fresh hops you'll get from a big uh, producer like Chinook. Chinook gives me four to some of them six pounds of fresh hops off of one big monster plant. Uh, a Hollertaw or a Willamette, it's going to be a lot less. You're going to get maybe a half a pound of, of dried and a couple pounds of fresh if you do it right. Nugget, a very dense cone, you're going to get Chinook level, you know, a pound dried off each plant. So it's kind of Depends on the variety. Chinook grows very well out here. The Neo-Mexicanus does well. You don't have to water them a lot. Uh, in fact, they may not like as much as I water them, so i got to watch it this year. Uh, Nugget does well. A lot of people have success with Cascade. It was just so common, I got rid of it. Um, my Hollertaw, Middlefru, Middlefrau. How do you say that? Anyway, uh, that variety, it's such a proper, well-behaved hop. I love it. I got it from uh, Gordon, who was in our brew club. Uh, he had one that he'd had for years and years, and I cleaned it up for him. I got a bunch of rhizomes uh, five years ago, and it's it's a real favorite of mine now. It just it just well behaved plant. It grows. It doesn't go crazy on the rhizomes, making me trim it so much. And when it climbs, it climbs straight and true. That's awesome. What what let, let's talk about maybe areas of the United States and and mm -hmm. kind of if you were. You know, like, for example, let's say I'm on the East Coast. What kind of hops grow well there versus the, the middle of the country versus the West Coast? Yeah, now you're going to get me well out of my... I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the Pope of Northwest Arvada hops, but I'm by no means an expert for national hops. Um, 
in the east, um, New York State and Michigan and Wisconsin, they've really got a, a big hop growing revolution going with them. Uh, in fact, New York State, they require a lot of the breweries to buy local ingredients first or a certain percentage. Uh, in the east, you know, they probably grow all the same kinds. They just have different issues. In the east, it's, it's higher humidity rates. You can get powdery mildew. Uh, reticulum wilt, I think, is something. There's there's quite a few of these moist, humid air conditions that you can get in the east that you're not going to run into very often in Colorado. In fact, once your hop plants grow up, you strip off all the lower leaves and branches off that hop plant so that the, the air can rotate and breeze through the bottom as well as around through the top. You want air to pass through your hop yard, pulling away excess moisture as it evapotranspirates, there's my biology word for the day, as uh, the plant pulls the moisture and the nutrients up, it has to get rid of the water, it goes out in the leaves, and uh, or rain or mist or anything like that that might collect. It's a place where fungus can grow, and you don't want that on a hop plant. So in those other areas of the east and midwest, they have to worry about that. Most of the hops are grown in Idaho, Washington State, the dry side, Oregon, the dry side, because of the similar conditions what we have in Colorado. Yeah, like uh, Idaho, I know, I grew up in Utah, was the next state up, and it was a huge hop-growing area. Mm -hmm. And when people think Oregon and Washington, they always think, you know, Pacific Northwest and rainforests, right? (laughs) And you go to the east side of those states, and they're pretty arid. Oh, yeah. The the rain shadow is kind of what we have here in Colorado. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, it's a giant rain shadow, the whole state, except for the mountains. Yeah, so... The hops, I mean, they grow all kinds of hops. I, I, you know, every hop you can imagine. I'd love to get my hands on some New Zealand hops to grow them, but they, they don't want to seem to part with those rhizomes yet. Um, I would say, you know, find somebody local that's growing it um, if, you're, if you're in those locations. Go with the tried and true, uh, you know, Chinooks, Cascades, a lot of the, the, the big producers. Don't get too specialized at the start. Uh, if you find a wild hop, sure, grow it. Um, you, you know, it's fun to uh, to sample those hops that you might collect someplace else. You don't know what the alpha acids are, how much bitterness it's going to give you, or what it's going to turn out like. But it's fun to practice with that. And there's nothing really, full disclosure, I've never brewed beer with any person's hops except my own, uh, which is weird. But I've had a lot of different varieties. Like I kept a few Centennials, which I don't like to grow because they don't like to produce for me. They like to sprawl. I kept some Willamettes. I kept, you know, I've got these little one or two plants, so when I brew, I've got a selection. Um, it's really fun to be putting in your beer the main, you know, outside of malt, but, you know, the main flavor component uh, and, and know that you grew that in your backyard or, or down the road. Yeah, that's uh, kind of the, I think, when you talk to a home brewer, it's kind of that next step, right, is like, Hey, I've, yeah. I've, I've got everything going. Might as well grow some hops in the backyard. And, and you know, specifically when we talk about a lot of the IPAs out there, mm-hmm. uh, the hop bill can get pretty high when you're talking about one yeah. ounce, buying them uh, mm-hmm. a few one ounces ounce at, at a time. time. Right. Yeah. You can get Buy a pound. Buy yeah. a pound and split it with your friends. Yeah. But, which is what I do. But, yeah. but the idea is that uh, if you're not buying pounds of hops, let's say you don't have the air, the room to store them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a great project would be to grow hops in your home. It's, it's, it is very yeah. easy. Yeah. And if you don't want to mess with worrying about drying them, just have a good fresh hop, wet hop recipe and uh, have a brew day the same, you know, you pick them in the morning and in your brew them in the midday and that night you're drinking, you know, something else you brewed <laughs> weeks before. Um, 
It is it is a great hobby. It's like uh, I actually try growing malt. The the guys at the Cody brothers at Colorado Malting in Alamosa, they sent some red, I forget what it is, red uh, red barley, red scarlet barley, I think is what it was. And they sent it up with a guy that works at Dalstall Alley. They, I've worked with them before up in Central City. If you've never been to that tiny, awesome little brewery in Central City, go up and do that, Dalstall Alley. Uh, they brought me some malt seed, so I, I, I grew the barley. And it was beautiful. And I harvested it. And then when it came to threshing it, and the daunting task of trying to germinate and, and malt it and roast it. And I was like, gave up, fed it to chickens. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> it's a lot of work if you want to do your own malt. But oh, yeah. hops, hops are much more simple. Yeah, we, we did that. a show on DIY malting, and I was <sighs> blown away at how many steps are in it. And it's actually way, it's more involved than brewing beer itself on a level yeah. that you can't tell. Uh, but... The right. idea is the people that are really into it are into that whole experience, and most mm-hmm. of them already grow their own hops too. So uh, it's kind of the the way it is. What's cool is there's a lot of craft malters in the state now in Colorado, and maybe there is in, in whoever's listening to this around the country. But uh, seek them out; they need your support just like a hop grower does. And that's my blatant plug. When you go to a brewery, ask the ask the the beer tender. You know, what do you guys brew that has local ingredients, whether it's malt or hops? I mean, I'm partial to asking about the hops, but just ask them. Because if, if you don't ask, they may not think that you would like to try that. And they won't spend the extra money or take the extra time to make a small seasonal with it, with local. Yeah, and I, I've actually tried some of the local malt that is made here, and it's delicious. I, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a and it's a good time to try a beer as an experiment, and see, hey, is this very different than the large malsters that you get? And mm-hmm. it is. It's got a it's got a different character. It's 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 a fun project to do. And if you're a home brewer, go ask your homebrew shop. Hey, do you have any local malt? And chances yep. are they do. And and local hops. I mean, I, I mean, I've tried selling my hops through quirky and and uh, uh the what's the uh, place downtown uh cobrew yep and uh so quirky and tom's tom's brew shop they've got some on but people just go in they they have a recipe and they go straight for that so it's it's difficult to sell my hops even though i put them in like two ounce bags that already had like a mesh bag in it and sealed it's not something i i mean for me it's when i grow them i sell them to the breweries because they'll use it in a seasonal or a special yeah, uh, like Nighthawk Brewing in Broomfield, Colorado. They're not around anymore, but the the sales the brewer there uh, for quite a few years bought fresh hops, and we go there and we have pick days with all their customers. They come and pick the hops, throw them in the kettle. He'd brew the beer, and the sales guy that went out around and sold to the on premise, he said that's the first thing he'd he'd run out of was all the fresh hop because people wanted to pull that tap handle first because it was local and limited time. Yeah, so, and. And a fresh hop beer is, is like no other beer out there. It just yeah, tastes just, amazing. It's unique. It's yeah. super and unique. And so, I mean, there are, there are ways that if anybody out there is thinking, which there's probably thousands still want to open a brewery, just try to keep that in mind. You don't have to do your whole whole line of beers with it. I know that'd be very hard to manage that supply line, but just have a lot of local stuff, and especially the fresh hops. Yeah, exactly. Well, Andrew, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. I I had a great conversation and I, I learned a ton that I didn't know about growing hops and I've even grown hops a couple of times. So I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad to do it. Uh, And once this social distancing is over, then uh, maybe we'll see you at the next beer club meeting. 
to thank Andrew for taking the time to be on this week's show. It's a great conversation to do a deep dive in growing your own hops and a really great side hobby as part of the homebrewing hobby in general. If you look in the show notes on your favorite podcast player, you're going to see a link to the Voss Farms Facebook page. Click on it. Check it out. It's a pretty cool experience to see all the pictures of what Andrew's doing over there. Well, that's it for this week, and we'll see you next week on Homebrewing DIY.